Welcome to Governmental Astrology. I'm Linda Rowe. Today is March 20th, 2020, and this is the 16th episode of the second season. I'll get right to it. Yesterday, I asked the question, what is humanity being asked to do? In answering this, I'm going to give you the definition of a virus. A virus is an infectious agent that can only replicate within a host organism. All right, so we have the infectious agent and we have the host. Today I'm going to be talking specifically about the SARS-CoV-2, that's the virus that causes COVID-19, and then the host, that's humanity. And I have a second virus as well, but hold on a second. Okay, so with the virus, uh, the virus is the infectious agent and it passes from person to person. And every time it passes from person to person, it makes copies of itself. And that's how it expands and can infect more people. So right now, as I said, humanity is being infected by two viruses. But we're currently only watching one of them. All right, so we're going to be confronting this SARS-CoV-2 first. But we're still going to have to confront the second virus. And once we've done both of these things, confronting both of these big viruses, um, boy, we're, it's going to have a huge impact on stopping this relationship known as parasitism or a parasitic relationship, we're going to have a huge impact on ridding the world of this relationship where it's parasitic, the parasitic relationship. That's what we're being asked to do, to find a way out of this most dominant relationship on earth, the relationship where one entity kills another entity. So what is this second big virus that's affecting humanity? In this podcast, I've been talking quite a bit about the patriarchy, which is the system of belief that has to do with controlling others, following others, believing things that are not natural or real. I've been describing it, uh, talking about the effects of the patriarchy and its development, how it came to be. Well, today I'm going to describe it in a different way. The patriarchy is a virus. It's a disease agent. The patriarchy is a disease that limits our ability to live in the natural world. The patriarchy limits our ability to live in the natural world because it constructs an alternate reality within us. And we humans have ended up living inside of that alternate reality. So let me explain. Alcoholism is often described as a disease, and I had difficulty understanding that when I was younger, but now I understand. Alcohol is a disease because it has symptoms, there are progressive stages, it's chronic, it can be treated, and it can also lead to death. 
So the disease of belief that we have, it's very much like alcoholism in, in many ways. Uh, we're dependent on belief. We cannot control our belief. We have symptoms, which we often do not recognize. And that's mostly because all of us have the disease. 100% of humans living today have been infected with the patriarchy. However, not everyone's in the same stage of the patriarchy. And it is interesting. The chronic patterns of late-stage patriarchy are visible to others until those individuals that have the beginning stages begin to progress into the late stage of the disease. And then those individuals stop recognizing their own late stage symptoms. So the ability to recognize symptoms is an early, early, uh, it's an early ability. In, and then you lose the ability to see your own symptoms later on or anybody else's symptoms for that matter. It's at this moment when you move from being an early stage to a late stage in the patriarchy, it's at this moment that the patriarchy is the most contagious. When the recently infected begin to exhibit later stages of the disease, that's when it is the most likely to be rapidly expanding. And we're currently at this very contagious part of the disease progression. And very few people realize this. Symptoms of the patriarchy include our belief that some people are more valuable than others. Our belief that some people control what other people can say, what other people can do, what other people can feel, and yes, even what other people can believe. Symptoms of the patriarchy include believing that we can do whatever we want to do. These are all symptoms of the patriarchy, with the chronic result that we have been less and less able to live in the natural world. The chronic result is that we have completely ruined the earth. The chronic result is that the patriarchy is proving fatal for us and for other forms of life on this planet. In many ways, we have built for ourselves a contraption, a structure inside our heads. This structure is one that does not permit us to enter the natural world. We are stuck inside our heads because the structure doesn't fit in the natural world. We have a mirror of this. And if you look into this mirror, you might be able to see what I'm describing. Okay, so we're now we're looking into this mirror. We have built cities that are not accessible to everyone in our society. And we care nothing if our city is not accessible to everyone. Do you, do you use a wheelchair to get around? Well, the city's not accessible to you. And we would say that our cities are accessible to everyone who does not use a contraption to get around, but that's very far from the truth. Uh, even our houses we, we live in, they're not accessible to people that use wheelchairs, and we care nothing about this. Are you a child? Our cities are not accessible to you. You can't get around if you're a kid. We care nothing about this. Are you elderly? There are many elderly who have troubles getting around and we care nothing about this. Other elderly people refuse to give up their ability to get around and they end up getting themselves into trouble. Yet we care nothing about this either. I could go on and on. 
those of us infected with belief are not living in the natural world. There are huge groups of people who struggle to get around on a daily basis. In the United States, anyone without a car struggles to get around, and we care nothing about them. However, the car is a contraption, just like I was calling the wheelchair a contraption. But we say that the car is necessary, and it's more valuable as a way to get around. We say that the car is better than the wheelchair, even if the two are really very similar in form and function. This is not living in the natural world. It's not helpful to humanity to have large numbers of people who are unable to access society. It's not natural, yet we continue unabated. Try riding your bike around. Try, riding your, try just walking around. We humans, at least in the United States, kill those of us who are not in cars, and we kill with impunity. We do not care. This is belief, and it's not living in the natural world. We kill people in cars, too, we, by driving like mani maniacs, and we do not care. So um, you think belief is not a disease process? Hmm. Well, we kill others if we have different beliefs. We kill each other just for having a different belief. Uh, if you look back into the 20th century and see how many people were killed and how many of us par actually participated in killing the millions of people that died during the 20th century, this belief, it's a deadly disease, and yet we just continue on believing, not listening, not paying attention to what's going on around us. We have constructed a society where you have to be able to work in order to live. And what happens if you can't work? We don't care. We base everything on the ability to work. We base our access to food, access to transportation, access to health care, access to shelter, access to clothes. Everything is based on your ability to work. And if you can't work, well, we don't care. What if you can only work at a job that we don't find valuable? Well, we don't care about that either. What if a person down the street dies as a result of working at a job that we don't find valuable? Well, we don't care. In fact, it's more than we just, it's more than we don't care. We don't even believe it's possible. It can't happen. So you must be lying. Tell me one animal that lives out in the wild. And those are the animals, by the way, that are living in freedom. While we, on the other hand, are living in captivity. Name one animal living in freedom that does not pay attention to what's going on around it. Just name one. That's all you have to do. One animal. Hmm. There aren't any animals who are living in freedom who do not pay attention to the world around them. Yet we talk quite a bit about how we live in freedom. But our freedom is only a belief. We don't really live in freedom. We live in captivity. And then we believe that those animals living in freedom are encroaching on us, and so we kill them but it was only a belief. They weren't really encroaching on us. We were encroaching on them or actively trying to put a fence around them, just like we, how we live. 
And then we believe that we're a force for good. We believe that we're okay. But what we're really doing is just going around hurting everybody. We've built this contraption inside our heads. And it makes it impossible for a lot of us, if not most of us, to get around. We cannot access society or the natural world in the way we need to. The walls around us are becoming impenetrable. And here we are with the virus, and the virus has us right where it wants us. And yet I, see, I still see people who are operating on belief. We want to know when we're getting out. We want to know who's going to save us. We want to know when someone will bring us food, more toilet paper. But animals that are living in freedom are not wondering when someone will care for them, make decisions for them, or bring them stuff. And animals that live in freedom know when they need to hide. They can sense, they can feel, they can smell what's happening. Us, we have no idea. The day before the students were sent home from school, that woman was in the bathroom wondering if pandemic meant that the virus was all over the country. And all over the country for her meant all over the world. She had no idea what was happening around her. We have excluded our children who are now young adults and they have no entry point into society, into this contraption that we've built, and we don't much care. We just call them spoiled brats. We have no idea what's going on. There are others that are excluded too. And just like our young adults, we blame them and we tell them how wrong they are. And so we're being called to confront the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And we're gonna to have to confront this virus if we're ever gonna leave our homes again. Um, how do we get out of our homes? What are we waiting for? Do we know? We say we're waiting for the numbers to go down, but that's not really true because as soon as the numbers go down and we go back out, uh, the numbers of infections are going to go right back up. Remember, this pandemic started with one person. And the virus that was in that one person left that person and went to another person and infected them. China is in the stage of disease progression right now where their numbers are going down and they're trying to figure out how to get out of their houses. Um, so what we're really doing is we're waiting for a vaccine. But the vaccine is going to take time. They're saying it's going to be over a year, but we can't stay in our homes for over a year. Um, there could be a treatment, a pill or something that comes up. And whether it's speeding up the vaccine process or getting some treatment that works, it's still going to take a while. And yet I'm hearing people who can't believe this is going to take two weeks. I'm hearing people who are upset that the schools are closed down. I'm hearing people who still believe what Trump was saying a couple of days ago. So we're going to have to confront this virus. And that's something that's going to take all of us, everyone in the whole world. We're also going to need to confront this patriarchy. These types of diseases, pandemics, they come during times of stress for humans. They come during times of authoritarian rule 
Even though we've really had nothing but authoritarian rule for hundreds of years, some of us thousands of years, uh, sometimes our authoritarianism takes a bad turn, like right now in the world. And we in humanity become especially sensitive to a strong virus. Authoritarianism makes us more susceptible to pandemics. It's a bold statement, I know, but look at the last pandemic we had, which was the flu pandemic of 2009-2010. I'm giving you both of those years because it's the end of 2009 and it was the beginning of 2010. And what had just happened right before that? We had suffered the collapse of our financial system. And that started out in the United States. Trump is so fond of pushing blame off where the disease started. Well, this disease uh, started in the United States, and it was a belief that kept us from reacting to that crisis until it had spilled over and affected nearly the entire world. And at least in the United States, most of us have no real understanding about what happened during that collapse. I know that some people think it had to do with poor people buying houses that they couldn't afford. And then, because they couldn't afford them, they foreclosed on those houses and that they were just irresponsible. But that's not exactly what happened. And at least some of the names of the people who played big financial roles back then can be found in Trump's administration right now. It cannot go unsaid that Steve Mnuchin, Secretary of Finance, and Wilbur Ross, Secretary of Commerce, both played big roles in the financial collapse collapse of 2008. It was only a year later that we suffered that really bad flu. Many people thought that that bad flu wasn't a really big deal, but I was working full-time in a hospital that year, and what I saw was very traumatic to me. And here's something that I find to be astonishing as I live my life as a human being. We human beings think that we are, at least in the United States, gonna qualify that, uh, we think that we are the only intelligent life form on the planet. And sometimes I hear us wondering if we're the only intelligent life form in the universe. Um, We have no idea because our belief tells us that we are special. Our belief tells us that we are the pinnacle, the very top, but we have no idea. I used to have a bird. She still exists. She just doesn't live with me. Her name is Albert, and she gave herself that name. It's a twist on a name that was given to her. The bird's name used to be Albert, Albert Einstein but she changed that name to Albert. This bird used to live with a friend of mine until he went off to Israel to find a woman and he couldn't take the bird with him. So originally he had left this bird with an ex-girlfriend of his, but as ex-girlfriends are wont to do, she found a new man and the new man didn't want the bird. So they sent out an emergency help call. Somebody please take the bird. And I had known this bird for a number of years. So after a couple of days, I answered the call. 
Now, I had known the bird for a while, but I didn't know anything about her. I don't know how to feed a bird. I don't know how to clean the cage. I don't even like cages. But I drove down and I picked this bird up. And it was night when I arrived and they put uh, the bird in a little travel cage, one of those ones you can put a cat in to take to the vet. And I put two bigger cages in my back of my car and I put the bird in the front with me, right next to me. And we started out driving back the 45 or so miles that we had to go to get to my house. And as I was driving on the interstate, I looked over and this bird had opened the top of her cage and her head was peeking out. <laughs> and I'm terrified of this bird. And I'm even more terrified of her being out of her cage while I'm driving 70 miles an hour. So I tried to stuff her back into the cage, but she was a bird. And pretty soon there she was again with her little head out. And then... There she was, standing on top of the little cage. And then, there she was, climbing on the car seat over to me. And then, there she was, standing on my headrest right above my head. And we were driving down the road together, headed into the unknown. Sometimes the car would hit a bump, and the bird would thump me on my head hard. Ouch! Ah! And we kept going, this bird and I, into the unknown. And I hit quite a few bumps that night. <laughs> but eventually, we arrived home. And somehow, I got that bird inside the house. And I put her on the couch. I didn't know where else to put her. And so she sat on the top of the couch. And I sat on the couch. And my partner sat on a nearby chair. And we all just sat there and stared at one another. And we had no idea what to do. And yet we figured it out one step at a time. That bird taught me about birds. That bird taught me about me. And eventually I had to find freedom for her because it was just killing me to keep her inside our house. And so I found a refuge for her, a sanctuary. She lives in Florida now and she lives with other birds. She lives outside. And I visit her when I can I love that bird. Um, and I just wonder, uh, what, what type of a human being thinks that they can keep a bird inside a cage? Birds are amazing. We would have arguments, this bird and I, and I never won. We were good friends, she and I. And that bird, while I was friends with her, she fell in love with my partner. Albert is a bird that's capable of tremendous love, which is amazing because even every single human being that she's ever met has been toxic to her. Albert is an African gray parrot, and she's a month younger than my daughter, a year and two months younger than my daughter. So Albert is 21 years old, and she'll be 22 at the end of the year. As I said before, Albert named herself. Her original name was Albert, Albert Einstein. But she switched that. She switched it to Albert. And then she named another human being that I know. His name is Bob. And Albert used to stay with Bob when we went on vacation. And Bob was a bird guy, and Albert loved him. She called him Robert. 
I don't know how she knew that Bob's name was Robert, but she always called him Robert, and I never heard her name. I never heard her call any other human being by their name, ever. Albert knew everything about me. She knew how to communicate with me. She knew if I was angry. She knew what my habits were. She knew everything. And I knew very little about her. But over time, I learned. And no matter how much I learned, Albert was always the one who knew more than I did. But I meet people, and they don't believe how smart parents are. They just can't grasp it. They think I'm making it up. The other day at work, I parked, uh, in the back, I parked in the back of the building because I was coming in late and there weren't any parking spots up front. So I ended up parking underneath the light pole. And when I got out of the car, the loudest, most springy bird was singing up at the top of the light pole. And it was so wonderful. And I called up to the bird and I heard the bird stop singing. And pretty soon I watched as its head appeared leaning over the light pole, looking down at me. I waved at the bird. I could tell that the bird was immediately annoyed. It clucked at me, and then it turned around rapidly, and all I could see were the tail feathers briefly appearing over the edge of the light as it was walking away. And then the bird disappeared, and it went back to its spot and continued singing. And as I walked away towards the building, the bird gave me a big raspberry, and then it kept singing. <laughs> I normally do not go around bugging birds like that, but I do generally acknowledge animals when I see them. And I've seen plant intelligence too. We humans are outside Earth's environment only because we want to be outside. We like being different. But I don't. I like, I don't like being outside what's happening. So this virus, to me, it has intelligence. It may not be able to see or smell or feel, but it knows what it's doing. And we would do well to sit back and try to understand its mechanism for sensing the world around it. I'm saying that it senses energy, but we need to know exactly what it is. You know, it's weird to me. We have this strange love affair with machines, and... For a while now, we've had mythology that tells us that our machines are alive. And we even say this stuff about them, like we have smartphones, we have artificial intelligence, we have robots that can talk to us, robots that can have sex with us. But we won't imagine, even for a moment, that a virus could have a sense of itself. We have never even given a thought as to the energy that the virus could be using as it storms the world. It's all belief. That's what's leading us astray. Greek mythology is filled with examples of individuals who are half human, half animal. The individuals <clears throat> who are half human, half animal are almost always stronger, faster, wilder than the individuals who are wholly human. If you combine Greek mythology with modern mythology, we have stories today about individuals who are half human, half machine. And when I look at all of this mythology and I take it as a continuum, I look at the journey that we humans have taken from being wild animals to, being anim to animals living in captivity, which we sometimes talk about as being domesticated. 
And then, uh, where are we going? Well, we're becoming machines. That's what our mythology is telling us. What is a machine? Machine is a thing that uses power to perform a particular task. Well, we humans today operate on power. Power tells us what to do and we do it. We are becoming machines. Will we still be alive when we are completely machines? That's the question that we will have to answer collectively. More likely it's death that we're going to have to reckon with as we become more and more like machines. It's death that we consider the enemy. Life cannot exist without death. So if death is our enemy, we're not going to be alive if we can't have death. As we search for a life without death, we are going to find ourselves in a whole heap of trouble. It's interesting. We humans are willing to believe that machines are alive and intelligent. All the while, we are unwilling to see that the universe and the earth are very much alive. We are unwilling to see that the universe and the earth are intelligent. So intelligent that we cannot grasp what is going on around us especially if we're living in this alternate reality called belief. And we can't grasp that the virus has an intelligence to it either. We just think that our response should be a certain set of things that we do. But we're not in relationship with that virus. Huh, we are too. It's a parasitic relationship. And we're the ones that are going to die. We need to figure out what to do. How to get out of this relationship. And we have this thing called science, and we love science. But science pretty much does exactly what it wants to, and it ignores pretty much whatever it wants to. We keep ignoring things to our own peril. And oddly, it's science that's leading us away from the natural world and into this very strange and unnatural world of the machine. We pay attention to our machines and we ignore everything else. And what happens when you don't ignore things? Have you ever asked that question before? It's an excellent question for us while we're sitting inside our homes. What would happen if humanity stopped ignoring things? Do you think that instead of having to construct huge machines to detect the outer world, that we could do nearly the same thing simply by asking a question? Oh, wait, you say that science asks questions. Yes, that's true. Science does ask questions. But science asks a question, but it's not in conversation with anything else. It's sort of like sitting on the toilet thinking about things. They're not asking anybody in particular, and they're not waiting for the answer. So if you're going to ask the question, what would happen if humanity didn't ignore things anymore? You need to listen for the answer. And it might help if you ask the question on a smaller scale first, just to see if you can stand how painful the answer is. The first question, as a good practice uh, for listening, would be to ask your family members, what am I ignoring about you? What part of you do I ignore? 
You could even ask that question about your own life. What part of me do others tend to ignore? Now, you're not asking that question so you can go out and get angry with others about how they've ignored you all your life and you're not going to take it anymore. That's, that's not what we're doing here. We've all been ignored and it really hurts. So all you have to do is connect with that spot in you that's injured. And once you've connected with that spot in you that's injured, you can ask the question of the people around you. How have I ignored you? And then when you receive an answer, you'll know that the place inside the people that you love, that they too have a place of deep energy in them. I mean, a deep, deep inner injury in them. We're all going around hurting each other and we don't see it because we don't believe in it. Remember, humans are vulnerable. That is our core truth. And when you find a place inside of you that's vulnerable, then the person next to you has a spot just like that inside of them. And up until now, all we've been doing is going around poking those vulnerable spots, stepping on them. And we didn't even know we were doing it. We're always worried, and we always talk, about what people are doing to us. But we don't have to worry about that. We have to worry about what we're doing to others. It's the same energy. It's just in the opposite direction. You're worried about what you're doing to other people. So while you're cleaning out your house, now you have something else you can be doing. Find a vulnerability in yourself and in your neighbor. And that's going to be a good first step in figuring out how we're going to ultimately get out of our homes and get back to life with others. All right, give me a call if you need to, 720-608-0309 or email me at governmentalastrology at gmail.com. As always, I'm glad you're here.